Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really what's it all about. Join me, Gregor Finlay, and my colleagues here at Turner, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. And in today's episode, we ask the question, how coaching can help prevent leadership derailment. So Sarah, we were joking as we prepared for this. This might sound a bit like an advert for the Hogan Development Survey, often called the Hogan Dart Side Tool. Yeah, absolutely, which is a tool that we both use and really like. And it's actually a psychometric based tool. We didn't cover this in our psychometrics podcast because we felt there was so much to say about it. We wanted to do a separate episode. I think one of the things about Hogan is the sale on the fact that they've never been successfully sued in the US, <laughs> which I think is, is really interesting, but it's a really robust tool. For years, they tried to get away from people calling it the, the dark side, and they would insist on people calling it the Hogan Development Survey, but everybody just calls it the dark side. They've given in, they call it the dark side on their website. Yes. Maybe we should talk about what what are we talking about in terms of bright side and dark side? So the bright side is the is our polished or social aspects of our performance. So another way of describing that would be filtered behavior. And on the other side, we've got dark side behavior, which is that raw social performance that under pressure shows how we can overuse particular strengths and be over-relied upon. So it's under those conditions or stress or anxiety where our dark side of our personality can lead to leadership failure. And that's another way of thinking about that is unfiltered behavior. And you can be completely unaware that you've got this dark side. So when I did my training on uh, Hogan, I was in a workshop and there was a guy there and he was a senior leader from a, a Scandinavian company. And we both have, basically the way the scale works, it scores one to nine. And if you've got, if you're in the nine region, that is, can be an overused strength. So you're in danger of derailment from that thing. And we both have bold. And we were talking about it in sort of workshop setting. I demonstrate, I was basically saying, well, what's the problem? You want to get things done. I was demonstrating bold. And he was joining in with me. And we were both saying, yeah, I don't see, I don't see what the problem is. You just get on and do it. And you know, basically steamrolling these other people and other views. And we started laughing because he suddenly realized there was a really good demonstration of bold in action. Because here was a strength that we both had. We were unaware that we were using it to the length we were. Basically, it was a real strong strength for us. But everybody else was laughing because they're saying, there you go. You're using it and you don't even know that you're overusing it. And often when it's a strength, it's something, we've talked about this, I think, in other podcasts, strength is something that naturally occurs. It's just part of who I am. It's something I use a lot of the time. And so when we think about the HDS, it's a questionnaire that measures 11 dispositions that are generally desirable. So their strengths are generally good things. But, and I always describe it as two sides of a coin. So on the top, one side of the coin, you've got the strengths, you've got the positives, the generally desirable attributes. But actually, when we're stressed, we're under pressure or we're overtired, we can flip, that strength can flip. And if we don't manage it well, it becomes something else. So for example, your confidence you talked about there, which is one of the elements of bold, when you're stressed or under pressure, can flip to become arrogance or diligence 
when you're stressed or under pressure, that can flip and become perfectionism. So that's the value, I think, of this questionnaire is understanding that these are strengths. These are positive things. They're something that we should celebrate. And they're probably what have got us to where we are today. That's why we are successful. But there are going to be times, we're all going to have times when we're stressed or under pressure, when we are not going to be at our best. And what does that look like when we examine those strengths under pressure? And it's and one of the reasons for using that dark side tool when you think about derailment is it's under pressure. For example, in a, a, a new executive hire, that's when they're going to be under an awful lot of pressure. That's when they can flip and suddenly that thing that has been a strength will be causing them to derail. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I like to think about is why I love the tools, if you can become aware of that before you're put under pressure, because if you don't deal with it now, if you're continuing to be successful, the likelihood you will get into situations with such pressure that then you can derail. So one of the things I thought would be really useful is you put something really useful into the, the notes, which was the difference between incompetence and derailment. Okay. So if we have an incompetent manager, this is a manager who is just lacking something. Quite often, it can just be that they've been overpromoted. So others could be there because it's been a bad selection, a bad hire, or potentially they're just considered one of the stronger performers and maybe a bit of favoritism has been at play. So ultimately, what we're talking about with incompetence is lacking the skills, the energy, the courage, or perhaps the insight to do what's required. So they're failing as opposed to derailing. If we're thinking about derailment, that's actually somebody who is otherwise considered to be successful, who potentially has had too much of a good thing. So that's confidence or the boldness or the courage. And they've often been chosen for those characteristics, which is my point just now about those strengths are those things that have got us where we are today. But those strengths can then become weaknesses. And the reason they become weaknesses is they're overused or potentially compensating for something else that's missing. So if I'm going to be overconfident about something or particularly arrogant about something, what is missing that means or that drives that behaviour in me? Yeah. And again, that's going to be when coaching comes in. And the thing is, why should we be bothered talking about this is such a massive cost, a massive cost to to, to the individuals, to organisations, to society. So let me demonstrate with what was a really high-profile derailment in the UK was Fred Goodwin, who was the chief executive of RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland. And he had to resign from RBS in disgrace in 2009. And he, he got stripped of his knighthood in 2012 when it really came to light everything that had gone later. But basically, a month after he resigned, the bank announced a £24 billion loss. And that's the largest annual loss in UK corporate history. And I can think of a couple of areas, probably in a Hogan, he would have had derailers, but he was basically going, not viewing anything as a risk, hugely arrogant, massively arrogant. So I would estimate he would be uh, have a bold derailer and also no view for risk. He was a huge risk taker, so that would be mischievous in Hogan. Um, so I can see him having at least those two. Mm-hmm. Now, if anybody had actually been doing this, and this comes to your point, nobody was challenging him. Yeah. So people were, from what I'm aware, people were frightened of Fred Goodwin. And to your point there about no one was challenging him, there is evidence, there is, there is research, and this is a, a paper by Tim Judge. They did a review paper and they said you know, it's not only the personality of the leader that's at play here, 
It's also about the organizational culture and the processes. And then the, the other one is employees or followers who are prepared to go along with and obey that derailing leader. So that speaks to your point there, is, as you say, of, of people actually being quite scared of Fred Goodwin. Yeah. So nobody was willing to speak up. But I think we, we don't have to think about 24 billion pounds. There are derailers, ha- basically derailments happen all the time. One of the places that happens a lot is outside hires, outside executive hires. Basically, they take twice as long to ramp up as a leader promoted from within. That That's what the stats show. But essentially, about of the 40% of leaders who are hired from outside each year, nearly half of them fail within the first 18 months. Just Let's just pause there for a second, because I just think this is staggering. 40% of leaders that are hired outside each year, nearly half fail within the first 18 months. A 50-50 chance of that hire being a failure as much as being a success. So it's, again, one of the reasons why it should be a no-brainer to hire a coach to support a new star, uh, basically. I think there's something in there about using a coach to support a new hire. So that's that kind of first 90 days piece. But there's also, I think, real value when you've got a leader who perhaps either has been in the organization for a while or has been promoted. We've talked about the leadership pipeline in another podcast and kind of supporting them with that transition. Because all the things we were talking about earlier, you know, if I find myself in a role where I'm needing to perhaps overcompensate for something, does that make me more spiky is the language I use. So if you think about these strengths and these derailers, the strengths that have meant I performed well, which might well mean that I'm going to be promoted, I could overpronounce those, which is when I become a little bit spiky in terms of my behavior in that role because I'm trying to overcompensate. Yeah, and some of the research on derailment, one of the characteristics that is mentioned is having too narrow a functional orientation. They lack the depth to manage outside of their own function. And I think that's one of the things, if we go back to leadership pipeline, it's common when there is a big shift, again, functional manager to business manager would be the, the shift I'm thinking about. That's where people need an awful lot of support. They're going to be under a huge amount of pressure. So if there are derailers there, they're going to come out at that point. And that's when you want the support. I think for new hires, yeah, I've, I've done quite a bit of the first 90 days uh, type coaching. But you don't always, depend on the program, always integrate something like a Hogan and I think integrating something like a Hogan is really important because that's when you pick up on those potential derailers. If we look at some of the key characteristics of leaders who derail, I think where we often get pulled in as coaches is problems with interpersonal relationships. That's definitely something that happens in terms of people come in, they don't necessarily fit within the system. And that's something I notice quite a lot is there's a real tension between somebody's normal working style and they're not adapting their working style to fit in. So they, they may be very bold, they may be quite arrogant, but that doesn't fit in with the new culture. And the other thing that really stands out from that list for me was the failure to build and lead a team. Yeah, absolutely. The failure to, to build and lead a team. And the other thought that popped into my head as you were talking there is, and where I've used the the HDS is where you can kind of factor in feedback as well. So one of the one of the challenges with using the Hogan is because it's quite personal, because it's thinking about both the positives and the negatives when we're overpronouncing and potentially derailing. It can be quite hard. People can be a little bit defensive and a bit like, mm, I don't think I do that. I don't think it plays out that way. I'm, I can't. I can't really see that. But actually, if you've got some three hundred and sixty feedback 
alongside that Hogan survey, it's fascinating how often the 360 feedback reflects the negatives of the Hogan. Yeah. So I've used this in a couple of ways. More recently, I've used it to help support inclusive leadership. So developing inclusive leadership behaviors. So understanding how your behavior might impact on other people, but unconsciously. And then just more purely from a leadership development perspective, understanding what are the factors that are at play that might be impeding or potentially derailing your performance. Yeah, I agree that Hogan feedback can be quite difficult to hear. I think you've got to be very sensitive about how you deal with it. Going along with a 360 really does help because you're able to put up a mirror from not only just yourself, but everybody else that's given the, in the feedback survey. I think what could be really interesting is, I think you had a story about more of a founder-led uh, organization and you did a Hogan and a 360 together and it was those two things together that made a difference. You were describing that and I was thinking, that sounds just like someone I'm, I'm coaching right now. Yeah. So one of the scales on the Hogan, one of the 11 behaviours is called excitable. And essentially what this speaks to is the tendency to get really excited at the start of a new project or a new piece of work or even a new person. If you've hired a new person to join your team, you just think they're going to be brilliant. And then what can happen is you can quite quickly get frustrated or disappointed when that person or that project doesn't work out quite the way that you had hoped or perhaps the person you feel that the person has let you down. And so I had an example that I was sharing with you before where I'd done some work with a leader of a business that he had founded. There was more than this, just this scale where he had scored highly, but this one I just thought was quite interesting because the real strength here is the passion for his business, for his idea, for his product and wanting to make it a success. So that was the strength of this excitable scale. But how did that play out? In terms of his feedback, the 360 feedback were things like this person should stop starting things and not finishing them because of other distractions in the business or perhaps not start things and then not complete them because they've, he's lost motivation to do so. So it's one of those things where to hear that feedback to begin with, you can almost imagine someone getting quite defensive and, and thinking, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that is me or I don't think that is the impact that I have. But actually, when you can hold that mirror up with the 360, it can really help to just illuminate that. So it's really about building that self-awareness because it's all very well to share this feedback with a client and help them understand the strengths and the bright side and the dark side. But actually, what is the role of coaching in supporting that person with those dark side behaviours. I think there is something really key there. Also, when you are an independent coach, it is easier for you to help a leader. The thing about how coaching the dark side helps, one of the things is helping the leader uncover and overcome the derailers that are inhibiting their performance or might be limiting their careers. Mm -hmm. So that's our job. And it's easier for us to do it as outsiders yeah. than it is for people, insiders, that people are going to, I mean, especially if anybody's got like a paranoid adaptation that's going to be sparking stuff off for them. And, and we can be more skilled at doing that. 
Absolutely. And I think it's that objective mirror, isn't it? That objective reflecting back. Because another example I have is with this this same individual, their tendency or their inclination was not to want to think ahead and look to the future and create a clear vision and strategy. But actually from his senior leadership team, they were finding that extremely frustrating because what they really wanted was to know what is our company strategy and direction. Let's really plan so that we know what our priorities are. But that was just not his strength and something that he saw value in or wanted to spend his time doing. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm thinking about another guy that I had and he, this is an example because he was a really strong example of potential derailment in terms of, he had four at nine, so he had four derailers. But one of the main things was moving from that added self-awareness and then helping them move to strategies of self-management. And one of the things you also brought up is identifying the triggers of the problematic behavior. So one of the things I was doing as a coach was helping him identify the triggers and then develop strategies that he could manage what were clearly going to be derailers to him. So there are certain key stakeholders he really needed to develop good relationships with. And he was basically winding them up because he was getting triggered into this problematic behavior and overusing some strengths with these people, and he really couldn't do that. So that was a really good example of what we could do. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it's one thing to have a feedback conversation with someone following a psychometric, but quite another to actually then put that into play. So Hogan themselves would talk about exactly as you said, so what is it, what are the situations that tend to trigger me? What is it that makes me potentially derail? What does that look like? So when I am derailing, what does it look like? And how might other people see that behavior? How might they feel about that behavior? What are the potential consequences? And then to your point then, right, so what are my strategies for overcoming this? And potentially how can others help me? So if you go back to my example of this lack of inclination to create a strategy or a vision for the future, recognizing that's not your strength and then finding someone else in the team for whom it is, could be a potential way, a strategy of others helping you when you know that's something that's not your forte. Another thing that just came to mind for me is another reason for people to be putting coaching in place for potential derailers is there can be huge reputation damage for people when they can't control these problematic behaviours. And they're incredibly grateful for the coaching they receive. Yeah. Because it makes such a difference to their potential career. Basically, if somebody's already derailing and we get brought in, which is sadly more often than the, the more proactive uh, case in my experience, they're hugely grateful because you know, you've helped them save their career and, and then often do better stuff. But otherwise, it, it can be really preventative stuff that they can see that, yeah, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be successful here. Because sometimes with a new hire, you can't do the 360, you don't have enough data yet to do that. No, exactly. But I think, but there is something about even just doing the HDS and what I would say, balancing that out with a broader spectrum personality questionnaire as well. So you've got that balance, that context of that, the bright side, as well as the potential dark side, but having them as they join the organization, having that awareness, and you can actually spend some quite good time reflecting on how that might've played out in your previous role. And then looking ahead to the new role and the culture and the team and what's needed and what the strategies might be that you'd want to put into place to ensure that you don't derail. So we've talked about the Hogan. Uh, so I, I did say at the start, this might sound like a bit of an advert for Hogan, but we both do think it's a brilliant tool. And it's an area that I basically believe that we should be taking derailment really seriously because it costs society so much money. 
um, not only money, but you know, causes pain, heartache, all sorts of stuff. So we should be taking it seriously. Coaching, I think, is definitely the intervention that, that, that delivers the best value there. And we've talked about how coaches can help. Absolutely. And I think I'm just wondering whether it's just worth also briefly touching on the fact that you don't have to be a senior person or a leader to benefit from the HDS. As you're moving up through the ranks of the organisation, as you're progressing through your career, it can be useful to to look at this at any stage. Obviously, we're just, we just focus particularly on leadership because that's where derailment can have a greater impact. Yeah, I think it's really useful. to. It's like using StrengthsFinder as a tool to be able to elucidate your strengths. This is another way of elucidating your strengths. We're realizing, okay, what are the things that might trigger more problematic behavior? The earlier you can do that in your career, the better. So I think we should look at our tips. Ladies first. Okay, so my first one, which I've sort of talked about a little bit, but I really do think if you're going to do a Hogan questionnaire and have a feedback session. You know, it goes without saying, if you're working with a coach, you would need to contract around the use of psychometrics anyway. And again, we've talked about that in a previous podcast, but even more so is this, this point about a good level of trust, because it's not always easy to receive the HDS's feedback, as we've talked about, you can find that people can be defensive and the coachee might not always be ready to consider their derailing behaviours. So just think carefully about the relationship between the two people. Think carefully about what you're going to do as a result of the Hogan. Oh, and quick tip, make sure you don't pass on the subscales. Right, you're going to have to explain that now for people who won't know what the subscales are. <laughs> All right. So, so for, for example, you get the main tool. So on these 11 characteristics, you'll get a scale. But there is a subscale, and then the language that's used is very, it's the language that you would use as a, an occupational psychologist. So I'm looking at impulsive, somebody might react to, but fantasized talent uh, is one of the within bold, cynical, mistrusting, holds grudges, unassertive. But these are all subscales, and they're very useful for the consultant or the coach to know because we might want to dig in further there but if you just hand it over as a piece of paper people are going to make that mean stuff it might not mean and so i just say be be very careful you get a report but if you're going to use hogan be very careful with the subscales because they can really tip people over the edge if they're sensitive about something i've got some tips i would say for hr be prepared for it be prepared for uh, derailment and um, cause selection processes just aren't perfect use a tool like the hds for key promotions internal or, or external and give coaching support from the very start not just when it starts to go wrong if you consider the cost the potential cost of leadership derailment it's a very good business case to do your coaching as a preventative measure i would say that but i think it is a false economy not to and a, a hogan's a few hundred quid it's not like it's, it costs a fortune and I think for a leader is look at where you might be overusing your strengths. Are they too much? And just consider when does it become a negative and what are those triggers that cause your strengths to get overused? I think that's always really useful self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Cool. I've, I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Gregor. And uh, thank you. And I've managed not to get on my soaps and rant because this is something I feel quite passionately about this topic. And thank you too. It's been a good conversation. It's been great. 
So thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We really do appreciate any feedback and we're keen to respond to any questions there might be out there about using and implementing coaching in organisations. So please do feel free to email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com. We've referenced a few things in our show today, so we will make sure that those are included in the show notes. And please do give us a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting or video platform. It really does help us to spread the word to a wider audience. Look out for our next episode. We look forward to speaking to you then.